Hello, everybody, and welcome to Citizen Dame, the podcast where we have all the feels, just all the feels about all the things. Uh, I am Lauren Humphreys Brooks, and with me, as always, is Karen Peterson. Hello, Karen. Hello. So, so Karen, how are you doing? First of all, how is everything across across on the other side of the country? <laughs> You know, it's all right. It's it's been a weird week, but uh, you know, like stuff happening in the country. But it's oh been yeah, pretty good too. <laughs> I was like, "What are you talking about?" I care. I, I like, oh yeah, the whole like Speaker of the House getting removed for the first time ever. Um, yeah, congratulations, Kevin McCarthy. You've made history. Good job, man. Yep, good he's job. just gonna. You're gonna be in all the history books now, bro. Like. <laughs> like everyone is gonna remember this is the only thing they're gonna remember about you that's it yeah. just that <laughs> i did feel complicated though about like being on the side that matt gates was on that felt icky well but i looked at not- the side that he was actually standing on and i was like okay no i I'm, i can drive with that that's all right we're we're not on the side of matt gates it's no we're we're on the the side of the democrats who are just like you pigs can wallow in your own filth, basically. Yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, that's how do you argue with that? Mm-hmm, exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, it's been a it's been a wild ride, but uh, and and I don't think I think this year between January when they were originally choosing a speaker <laughs> and this week, I think it's been a really great civics lesson for Americans who didn't really know how parliamentary procedure works and all that. Mm-hmm. So. So congratulations, Republicans. You educated Americans this year uh, more than you have at any point in the last, I don't know, decade, two decades, <laughs> century. Well, and I heard earlier that like there was some debate going on between p- potential speakers that like just completely descended into anarchy and had to be stopped or something like that. So there was going to be a forum for anybody who wanted to take over and uh so they were going to do that and then fox news swooped in and said how about if we do a candidate like forum debate thing on fox news and they agreed to it and i guess there was a like it was like two main people that are kind of like vying for the job and there was a third guy too and everyone was like this is a really bad idea this is this is a a, like taking public a very private fight yeah and don't do it and so they backed out on that and so yeah so now they're not doing it but it's just it's so like i don't it's so funny how they do this they vacate the office well eight people vacated the office um because if they had stayed with their party then this wouldn't have happened Mm -hmm. um but uh anyway it's just it's crazy how they did this and then they all went home they immediately went into recess because they don't have a speaker and it's like all right guys go back to your districts and it's just like wait 
aren't you gonna like <laughs> stick around and figure this out and so then this was the thing that I found interesting too is yesterday what I heard was that the reason that they did that was because temperatures were so high and people were so angry at those eight Republicans that they were like there was safety concerns if they didn't like send everyone home to cool off well, yeah. it, I mean, it's quite obvious that they don't have a plan. That's that's the thing. The whole the whole thing. It was not like they had a candidate ready right. to take over the speaker. They just were like, we're just going to get rid of, of McCarthy. And it's like, OK, now what? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, like the, all right, you did it. Now right. what are you going to do? <laughs> the thing is that those eight people do not care. They want to yeah. cause chaos because to them, what they have convinced Either they have also convinced themselves or they've just convinced their people or they think they have that um, that they causing chaos, disruption and, and sort of anarchy are the way to clean house and move forward. That's what they've that's what they are basically mm-hmm. arguing. And so to cause like step one, get rid of the speaker and kind of put everything into this weird limbo like that's just part of their plan they that that is their plan is to just make it just chaotic and confusing it's it's wild shit it'd be i am i'm fascinated i'm just sitting back here going like all right now what (laughs) yeah uh so so from that but we are a fun podcast not a political podcast although i have to say what we are talking about today primarily is going to get very political. Like it pretty much has to. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. And all of this is going to be in a movie in the next couple of years. Anyway, it, so. it definitely is. This is just, <laughs> it's just wild shit. Um, so before we get started on our, our main topic, which I am like so incredibly excited to talk about um, let's, I, I think that we should briefly address the, the fact that our flag means death has finally returned <laughs> after Sorry. a thousand years i think it's been like a year um <laughs> after so many years and a constant fear that it was gonna act like actually wind up getting canceled or it wasn't gonna come back or something like that there's at there are episodes on our screen we are going to get more episodes things are happening all of the feels karen how are you feeling we're not going to spoil anything about the first three episodes right now just because they've just come out um but yeah how are you feeling about all of this karen well just just so that you feel a little bit better about feeling like it's been forever the first season did hit in march of 22 so it's been a year and a half even though it was last calendar year it's been you know it's been a long time and yeah when when zaslav took over hbo max and then it became max and there were all these things in flux and shows getting canceled and stuff it was really it was worrisome because it had already gotten picked up for a second season. It was a very popular show, but there's still like that. This might get the ax for no good reason, you know, because a few things were so. Um, so the fact that it, it came back and oh my gosh, I just I love this show so much. And um, it, it just it, it's funny. Like it has it, it. It feels so seamless from the first season to the second season. I watched the finale before I started the new episodes just to get a kind of refresher and kind of be pulled back into that that world and it really does it feels like no time has passed between the seasons 
it feels like everybody just picked right back up exactly where they left off, but in a good way. And it's, it's charming. It's funny. It's, it does some really just very emotional things. Um, introduces a new character that I was super excited about and I won't say who Um, but uh, someone that I've been wishing they would put in like movies and tv for American audiences for a really long time and they finally did and of course it was something that Taika and David Jenkins are working on that would make that happen so anyway I love it I'm super excited how about you I'm very excited. Like it, it is, it's, I, I, I sent you a message. It's like emotions, all of the emotions. <laughs> it's no, I agree with you. It's very well done. It does feel, I haven't rewatched the, the original season um, recently, but it does feel like it's a, it's a natural continuation. It doesn't feel jarring in any sense. Um, the, this, this season is already much darker in a lot of ways than, uh, than the first season was, which makes sense given some of the things that have happened yeah um some shifting loyalties some characters that i'm like oh actually you know what you had you're you have a good point there bro like <laughs> you know i don't 100 agree with you but also all of these characters are actually very complex which is amazing <laughs> to say about this like campy gay pirate comedy drama whatever the hell this this show is at this point it's it's really wild I, i've seen a number of people say like i can't believe that this is actually a thing that exists that this isn't like some invented fan fiction that is you know just fans kind of spiraling out where that this is actually something that is happening in a mainstream show on our screens mm-hmm. <laughs> is so. it such a smart show that's it the is thing. yeah like it it is it's it's a silly fun show about gay pirates but it's really smart and that's one of the reasons that i love it so much yeah and it gives these characters depth in a way mm-hmm. that is disarming at times because you're kind of like oh, oh is it this funny oh my god that's yeah. like yeah right oh my god <laughs> well like i mean we were messaging back and forth and there's one character and i won't again we're not going to spoil anything but there's one character where something happens and I was just really surprised by my reaction to it because it was just so unexpected. And I was like, wait, why am I feeling this way about this person? That's, mm-hmm. that's not, <laughs> that's not what I expected at all in such a good way. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah so, so definitely, definitely everybody watch this show because the more people watch it, the more likely it is to get picked up for a third season. Although right now I trust nothing. So just really enjoy enjoy our flag mean stuff as it as it stands yeah david jenkins the creator did say that he has a three season arc so uh we have to just hope that it does get that one more season so that they can finish the story but yeah nothing is guaranteed in this day and age so but don't make that a reason not to watch yeah definitely definitely watch it um so so yes and that is of course on on max uh so today we wanted to to officially, I guess, start off spooky season. This is the first episode we're recording in October. Um, so we're going to officially start spooky season with a topic that I'm surprised we haven't done before, honestly. <laughs> I know. Um, given, given the subject matter, the general kind of feminist subject matter of this podcast, given the way that we like horror, you know, all of this, uh, I'm surprised we haven't actually talked about witch movies. And... And we're going to discuss, I think, a fantastic lineup. I love this. Like, it's a, it's odd, but it, they also all fit together really well. So the three movies that we are going to talk about are Haxon, 
from uh, 1922, The Witches of Eastwick from 1987, and The Witch from 2015. So if you have not seen any of these films, Paxson, you can't really spoil because it's a documentary, technically. Um, the other two, you know, we are going to talk about plot points and things that happen within the films and the ending of the films, things like that. So always spoiler alert if you have not seen these films. If you haven't seen them, I'm shocked. I feel like The Witches of Eastwick, at least, is like a, a, a iconic. And yeah. and The Witch has become iconic in a lot of ways. So... Sometimes so, still for me, I will just say sometimes for me that um, a movie that I haven't gotten around to seeing, sometimes the spoilers actually make me want to see it more. So if you're kind of like, yeah. eh, just, you know, I don't know, just go ahead and listen and then maybe we'll talk you into watching it. Yeah. And none of the, none of these are mysteries or anything like that where, right. you know, we're going to tell you who did it at the end or something. Uh, so. So, yeah, de- definitely. I agree with you. So to start off with, I think let's just talk a little bit about um, witch movies in general. So witches have been around. I mean, the first film that we're going to talk about is from 1922. So witches have been around in film since the beginning of film. Almost there are a number of Georges Méliès films that have witch subject matter, devil, devilry subject matter, occultism, things like that. Um, and it seems to me in, in rewatching all three of these films, one of the things that was beginning to kind of come home to me is that which films are kind of expressive of one of the, you know, one of the main concepts of horror, which is this idea of the return of the repressed, but they have to be explicit about it because very, very few are more repressed than women generally. Right. (laughs) Um, At least within a patriarchal culture. And so these are, these are films where you have this really interesting balance in the figure of the witch um, you have this interesting balance between representations of misogyny, of cultural misogyny, uh, individual misogyny, et cetera, and feminism. And the witch figure is in kind of the middle of this, this tension between the two, basically, because you can make arguments about some of these films, witch films in general, that they're misogynist. And you can also make arguments that they're feminist because they are all kind of putting all of this power and thematic weight right into this figure of the woman who is might be like almost as powerful as satan or might be this like wronged mistreated um badly damaged person and and so there's there's a lot of tension that exists i think in witch films and one of the questions that develops throughout most you know discussions of witchcraft films is are they feminists like and if they are feminist what makes them feminist or not what makes them misogynist um so one of the first things i wanted to say to you karen is uh what what in your view would make a witch film feminist uh i think i think that's similar to a lot of movies i think it depends on the point of view it depends on on whose story we're watching who the protagonist is um, and why. Mm -hmm. And then if we do get the opportunity to get into the witch's motivations or, or at least her interests, um, then that can take on, that can become feminist. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm trying to think of (laughs) some specific examples besides what we're about to talk about right now. But yeah, I think mostly it comes down to, how is the witch depicted? Does she get to have agency and a point of view in the story? Mm-hmm. 
Well, yeah, I, I agree with you. Absolutely. Um, and I also think that you know, that question of we've talked about before the subjectivity versus objectivity, um, the subjective nature of the film, like what perspective are you taking into it? So I think we can read some witch films against the grain, right? Where we see a degree of power in the central female performance, perhaps, that maybe is not necessarily intended by the full text of the film, mm-hmm. um, but does make the figure more feminist uh, as as a result. Because all a lot of, of witch movies are about female power, about women looking for power and dominance and con- and not just control over their own lives, autonomy, right? right. Um, that is not being given to them, is not being offered to them, is not something that they have, period, in a, a deeply patriarchal culture, um, which is is what our culture is. And, you know, the, the three films that we're going to discuss, two of them deal directly with, like, you know, the, the the very early times of witchcraft and of the concept of witches yeah um but yeah it, a lot of it comes down to like this this idea of female power and and like you say the the subjectivity of the characters and also just the tone of the film um and how the film understands female power basically um and how, and also how it understands this whole kind of conflict between God and Satan, uh, if the witch is even a part of that, or if in some way the witch is actually reaching back pre-Christian at, at some level, right? We talked about this when we talked about folk horror, that, which is also very heavily associated with women and with witch movies, that you have to reach back into the far distant past. So like before Christianity, before... Um, even before Judaism, like back into pagan eras, and that that's what a lot of witchcraft concepts come from is something that happened long before uh, we we had you know conceptions of um, God or Satan. Yeah. So let's let's start out with the the 1922 film Haxen, uh, which is a a Swedish film, a Swedish. I've seen it called a documentary. It's less of a documentary. It's more like an essay film. It's it's kind of yeah. the the filmmaker proposes some concepts and says like we're going to look at representations of witchcraft and witch scares throughout time and we're going to talk about it and what it means, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so this is this is directed by Benjamin Christensen, um, who um, interestingly enough actually like kind of inserts himself a number of times. The the filmmaker himself comments on what is being depicted. And so in in that sense, it very much is an essay film. And it basically looks at, you know, scholarly aspects of witchcraft, um, medieval superstitions, the middle ages, like it takes you through a witch trial, supposedly, um, and then finally brings it all back home to, for for him was the contemporary moment. So the, the 19 teens and the 1920s. Um, to talk about, you know, how is is all of this stuff actually related to the way that we understand things like hysteria now. Um, and so it's a really fascinating film in a lot of ways, and it uses a lot of uh, horror imagery that winds up getting pulled forward into other horror films and, and also into other witchcraft films. Karen, was this the first time you saw Paxson? It was, yeah. I, so it was, it's one of those movies that's been on my list for a while, but I just had not gotten around to it. So mm-hmm. this was a good, 
good time to to watch it. And um it was it was interesting. I mean, I knew going into it kind of what I was what I was sitting down for. It wasn't a surprise, which was good because you kind of need to be prepared for this because it's not a it's not a um narrative film at all. And um it what I found really interesting was the well, there were a lot of things I found interesting, but um like it just he really does do a good job of of laying out kind of the history of how witches became such a popular um I- icon in our culture in our folklore mm-hmm. and and how so much of that stemmed from you know early 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 art and um sometimes the misinterpretation of art that really did frame some of the the things that we as a society came to see and fear, which I thought was really interesting. I'd never thought about it like that before. Um, but then just the way that he also kind of lays out this, this case for um, the way that, that witches, and this is men and women um, mm-hmm. like the ties to, to demons and all that. And how throughout history, this is something that's kind of been part of every tradition, every religion, every culture. Um, this is just something that, just exists throughout like it's very prevalent throughout the world there's different versions of it but every every group has some version of of witchcraft and how by the end he's making the case that like basically what we used to do to women and accuse them of being witches now we do that now being 100 years ago um although it still hasn't changed that much uh but then it it became mental health it became sending women away not because they were witches, but they still had something wrong with them because they were, you know, a little emotional. So obviously they're crazy and need to be locked up. So it just, it was interesting the way that he took you through that history and, and then brought, brought it to a very sound point about the society he was currently living in. Yeah. it, It doesn't feel at all like, oh, this is just like reaching back to the, the crazy wild middle ages, right? It's like, yeah, this is kind of where some of our concepts began or where they developed, but it's very much a part of our, part of our contemporary culture, right? Yeah. Um, and yeah, I, I think that that final section, I feel like the the section that he has about hysteria actually tends to get dismissed because it is, it's dated in a lot of ways because it's the 1920s, right? Um, but it's kind of like, oh, and now, you know, we're going to have this medical diagnosis, right? But he points out things like the the things that would demarcate a woman as a witch, quote, you know, her age, um, things like palsy, things like, you know, um, physical disability, mental disability, things like that, that in the Middle Ages be like, ah, she must be a witch. You know, she's old and she's got a hunched back and she shakes, right? There must be, she must be inhabited by the devil. Um, and then we bring, and and then if you bring that forward to the 1920s, where you know we have much better understanding of what all of that is, but also things like the whole concept of hysteria, you know, and the the some of the examples that he uses is like a woman who is a kleptomaniac and is afraid of being, um, you know, put away by her family because she can't control herself. And what comes through in that part of the story uh, is that she has been a has been paranoid ever since the the war right world war one 
Um, and she's had like this constant paranoia. And you're like, yeah, this is someone who has been affected by the culture around her, by what happened during World War One. And the diagnosis is she's hysterical, put her in an institution. Right. There, right. There's something wrong with her. And it's like there's nothing wrong with her. She's having a totally natural reaction to it and she needs help. She doesn't need to be thrown into an institution where she's not going to actually receive any help. And and the conclusion that he comes to is very much like this is less violent, but very similar to um, the kind the way that the clerics behave in the sections of the the like the medieval sections of like we're going to diagnose and then dismiss what this is and because she is is a bad she has a bad effect on society we're going to put her out of sight we're either going to kill her or we're going to shove her into a space where no one can see her or look at her yeah and we don't well, have to he, deal with her right and he he even make he goes a little further than i even expected him to by also showing the difference between how women with money and without money were treated and uh-huh. um and how you know, women without money, they just kind of get thrown into uh, an institution. And I mean, they, they, it's still institutionalized, but either way, but you know, the women who have money, it's, it's a, it's a much different atmosphere. It's a different place. And I just, the fact that he actually made that point about the differences in, you know, social standing Mm -hmm. um, or economic standing, I thought was, was interesting. Um, one of the things that I was really thinking about was um, just, I don't know if you ever saw the movie Changeling, not the Changeling, um, Changeling that was directed by Clint Eastwood. It starred Angelina Jolie. Yeah, I know. Um, I never saw it. I remember when it came out there. Yeah. So I saw that movie. It was based on a real case that happened here in Los Angeles in the 19. I think that was also in the 20s. Um and basically this woman's son disappeared. She was at work. She was a single mom. She's at work. Her son disappears while she's gone at work. And it turns out that he had been kidnapped. And um, the police uh, eventually say, hey, we found your son in Chicago. We're going to bring him back to you. And so they did that. But when she got him back, she's like, and it had been a while. So it was like he would have grown up a little bit. Um, but when they bring this boy back, she's very much, that is not my son. (laughs) Like I know who my son is and this is not him. And the police just kept saying she was hysterical. She didn't know what she was talking about. And they ended up locking her up. This is all true. This really did happen. And, um, this woman at the center of this case, um, because of the fact that they force committed her and she turned out to be right, it actually led to some reforms in how women are handled in the mental health industry here in California, as far back as this time period, the 1920s. Um, But what's interesting is how like you just, you look throughout from that point where women were getting locked up just because they were saying things that people didn't agree with and didn't like, they were getting locked away in, in institutions. And then you look at throughout the rest of the 20th century and even up till now, but it's starting to get better. Um, but it's just, there's always, and this is one of the things that I was really thinking about watching this documentary, how there's always something 
that people use against mm-hmm. women when they don't like what women are saying, what they don't like what they're doing, when they just want to make assumptions about them. There's it's always something, you know, it be it became mental health and then it became like, yeah. ooh, feminism. Look at how the word feminism was weaponized against us and how it, mm-hmm. it became this thing of like you didn't want to be accused of being a feminist because they were awful and crazy and down with men and all this. And it's like there's just always so if there was like a hundred years later update of Huxan, it would be interesting to see how they would tie in something like that, mm-hmm. where there's always something that is being used against women to hold them back, to punish them, to punish us and uh, to silence us. And it's always some way of, of basically demonizing. I think that's a, that's a really, really good point. I, I, like I said, I haven't seen the film, but I know when you're describing the case, I was like, I've heard about this case. Yeah. Um, and and I, I've, I've heard about it. What? Uh, yeah, I've heard about it happening. Um, yeah, I, I think that you make a really, really good point. And ultimately, it's it's punishing women for departing from patriarchal narrative. Yeah. Right. So you've got the authorities, right, who are are very much a part of, of patriarchy, right? The cops, the judges, the lawyers, the doctors, um, who are saying like, no, she's crazy. She's hysterical. Right. And mm-hmm. that's, that's a word that still gets used today, you know, and, and we understand how loaded it is at this point, but just like you're hysterical, you're un- or, you know, you're, you're unreasonable, you're illogical, you're irrational, like all right. of those things. And it's when it's when women are saying things and doing things that are not agreed with by the patriarchy and that threaten the patriarchy. Mm-hmm. Um, that threaten the whole stability of it, that say the patriarchy is wrong, that say the authority is wrong. And and we should also note that, you know, when you say patriarchy, it's not just men, it's other women as well. Right. Um, but it's it's that scapegoating of women who are different at some level, who push back, who say who are feminists or who have the misfortune, and, and this is something that, that Hexen points out, who has the misfortune of being old, right? Yeah. Or or on the other side of being beautiful. Mm-hmm. And and there's there's an entire sequence in, in Hexen where the young um the young inquisitor, right, is like a woman touches his arm and he freaks out and he's like, oh my God, she's bewitched me, right? Because he keeps on having these sexual visions of her. And right. and of course, and it's her fault, right? And, you know, I mean, that's like, look at some of that language. That's basically some of the language that is used against women when they are assaulted, um, when men are attracted to them and they say no, all sorts of things like that, that it's still this like scapegoating and creation of this woman as being like, women are dangerous. Women have this inherent, um, this inherent power that has to be subdued. Because if it's not subdued, they're going to threaten the entire structure of the world. Like that's basically what the the conclusion is. And and I agree with you. I think that Hexen actually really represents that very well in a very surprisingly nuanced way um, that you know we don't necessarily expect from 1922 films. Right. Yeah. Um, I, I was I was very like I said I, it had been one that I'd been meaning to watch for a long time, but. I was very pleasantly surprised by how how intelligent and how mm-hmm. relevant it, it actually is and and how how fair it was to women. I was I was very surprised by all that. Yeah, it, it's a it's a fascinating film. And 
one of the things that I, I think the, that I think will kind of lead us into the two other films that we want to talk about is um, this, this whole idea about belief and the, the film makes a point of saying that, you know, some of the women that are, are being depicted, some of the women that are being accused of witchcraft. And we do have to say that men and children were also accused of witchcraft and were killed, killed, burned, tortured as witches. This film primarily focuses on women um, as do the other two films. So that's that's what we're talking about. When we're talking about the kind of the popular figure of the witch. Um, but so the, this film actually deals with directly this whole idea of belief and that there were women within, again, within the construct of the society who would have believed that they were in fact capable of witchcraft, right? Mm-hmm. That they had some kind of alliance with other forces or other powers. And that's when you begin to get into things like, you know, in, in, in kind of the good side, mid, midwifery, um, female understanding of herbs and medicines and things like that, that are things that are outside of, again, that patriarchal confines. Um, but also just the belief of things like, oh, you know, we can curse my, I can curse my enemy. And you might believe that you can curse your enemy. Um, and so that whole issue of the belief, not just of the inquisitors, um, and of the broader society, but of the women themselves and what they think they are capable of is also very important. And, and it feeds through, I think, a lot of different witchcraft films. And it's something that is very nicely made explicit in Haxon. Um, yeah. But then kind of goes through, and particularly when we talk about the witch, uh, I think is very much connected to that. Yeah, definitely. And we'll talk about this a little bit more later, probably, too. But, you know, watching Haxon and seeing some of the, like, old historical images and and recreations Mm -hmm. and things, it made me wonder, in all the the centuries where women were accused of, of witchcraft, it made me really wonder how many tried it just to see. (laughs) Like, because, like, if I'm being accused of this anyway... Let's see if I can do something with this. Well, yeah. And like, if you have this belief that, you know, oh, sprinkling this herb under someone's bed is going to affect whether or not they have a child, right? Mm -hmm. Like, why, if that's a part of your belief system, the beliefs of your culture, then you might be tempted to do something like that. And then, you know, it's, it's kind of like, you know, assigning an effect to a particular cause be like oh she she miscarried she must have been cursed by me right right yeah <laughs> um so so yeah and and Hexen also just as cinematically has a huge influence on the depiction of witchcraft and on um horror films like throughout like the the imagery that is present in Hexen, which is sometimes a little hackneyed like it's a little it, there there's some unintentional humor running throughout some of it um but is is very much something that pops up in in later witchcraft films and is very um particularly the whole idea of like the the, the witch's sabbath and mm-hmm. dancing naked around the fires and things like that yeah um so let's jump forward Dear God, how many years? Six, 60, 65 years <laughs> to 1987 and The Witches of Eastwick, which is a, a 1987 comedy um, directed by George Miller, which I did not realize. Uh, until, I like, 100% thought this was Robert Zemeckis. <laughs> I really did. <laughs> 
and and as soon as I saw George Miller, I was like, oh, that explains a lot. <laughs> like, um, and it stars Jack Nicholson as a, a devil figure, sa- satanic figure as Daryl, Daryl Van Horn. <laughs> um, and and also features, I mean, this is quite a stacked cast when you really oh, come yeah. down to it. Cher, Michelle Pfeiffer, and Susan Sarandon. <laughs> <laughs> and that's like, dear God, that is that is quite a grouping of of actors like i want to know how much this film cost um yeah because like it's not like it's not like this is early careers for them i think nicholson Cher, and actually i think all of them might have been already academy award nominees by this point they were all big stars uh, yeah. At this at this point, like they were known, these were known people, um, and I do think it's interesting that the Nicholson actually got interested in it because um, Angelica Houston had been up for a role, and uh, she was she was going to play the share part, and according to her, she had a terrible um, a terrible screen test, <laughs> and really? didn't and did not end up getting the part, which is shocking to me. I'm just like Angelica Houston, are you serious? <laughs> playing a Man. playing a, a witch in yet another witch movie um but yeah apparently she had a terrible screen test but then nicholson uh got got the part after bill murray dropped out um which you know i think that that would have been a very different movie yeah nicholson is is perfect i think in this role um in so many different ways so the the story for those who have not seen it the story uh is about alexandra jane and suki who are all live in eastwick rhode island and they're all either they've all either been divorced their husbands have left or their husbands are dead um and they right from the very beginning of the film they seem to have a lot of power when the three of them work together um like literally to be able to create storms curses things like that and they get together one evening and over a lot of martinis they wind up summoning what to them is is not necessarily the perfect man, but the man that they all want. And he is Daryl Van Horn, played by <laughs> Jack Nicholson. <laughs> and then it kind of spirals outward from that as like they all kind of come into their own. They have this this fascinating like polycue relationship going mm-hmm. on with Daryl and the three of them. And then also bad things begin to happen when... Um, when people begin getting cursed and and they decide that they don't really want to be with Daryl anymore. This, this, you know, in terms of moving from from Haxon to this, this it's quite a shift. <laughs> yes. Uh, but also it does come back to, you know, all of those things we were talking about when it comes to the the witch movie, um, power the power of women and the power of women particularly working together and um the the importance of of course the the film sets them up as like you've got a blonde brunette and a redhead um you have kind of all of the imagery that we come to associate with a lot of witchcraft stories and uh and they're all artists right so you've got um Alexandra, who is a sculptor. You've got um, Suki, who is a gardener. She's very much the earth mother, and she's also a writer. Uh, and you have um, uh, Jane, who is a musician. And all of kind of that power and intensity and feminine energy, right, comes together and they summon this devil character 
who initially seems to be like the perfect male ally. And of course we know what that means. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but I quite, I mean, I love this film. It is so wild. It's funny. Uh, the leads are fantastic. Uh, and, and a lot of people talk about how Jack Nicholson, particularly in the last quarter of the film sort of dominates proceedings. And he does, he's got a fantastic speech in a church. Um, but the three women are very much the centers of the the story and very much the centers of power in this film. So what are your thoughts about this, Karen? I won't talk too oh. much. Oh yeah, I love it too. And and a couple of the reasons why. Um, I I think there's such fantastic chemistry between all four of them to really sell this like mm-hmm. polyamorous relationship that emerges emerges, which wasn't the original plan. Like when they were like talking about their ideal man, they weren't talking about like let's have one to share. <laughs> like that wasn't their goal. But then this guy just shows up and and just the way that um there's like there's a little bit of jealousy there's a really funny scene where they're playing tennis that it just cracks Mm -hmm. me up but how he's able to to kind of quell that and make it so it's like hey there's plenty of me to go around and then they're like okay (laughs) (laughs) and um and so i really love the chemistry between these characters and i also really like how um even though he's supposed to be the devil or or a devilish character um like as as he is getting involved with these women and getting involved in their lives he's he's um unlocking things for them but not he's not giving them powers they don't already have it's really about them yeah. tapping into and learning how to use the things the the characteristics the traits that are already inside them and that's i think one of the things that that makes it so good because then by the end when they have to like get rid of him cuz he's too he's too much (laughs) um and uh obviously he's there for not the reasons they want him to be there for and so then they have that power already and uh Mm -hmm. they're able to to work together and they 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 are always are able to to like keep working together and it's not it's not a movie that pits women against each other and makes them all enemies yeah it's it's interesting because the first time i saw this movie i i thought for some reason i had it in my head that the jealousy issue was much longer term Mm -hmm. um and it really it really isn't and they all have their their own issues and their own own like kind of responses to the to the things that daryl says um and i think it's very subtle the way that he approaches each of them differently yeah and is very much like you know he's manipulative (laughs) he is but it is this kind of like you know i'm going to draw out all of the things that you've been repressing right and it's it's very much this kind of retelling of the classic you know selling your soul to satan kind of idea that that runs through concepts of witchcraft right so you, but it becomes joyful it becomes like we're we're gonna find the things that really drive you and make you want to you know play music with more passion right be more um expansive in your artwork be a happier person generally and then of course the the exchange which is always, there's always the question of the exchange of like you you gain all of this support from the devil right um but you have to give something in return and what it what it turns out to be is basically like he becomes possessive and he's like you know we're a family and as soon as they begin to reject him or say like we don't want to do this anymore because people are getting hurt um 
then he he becomes this whining, kicking man baby with a great deal of power, and he curses them and he causes them causes them all kinds of pain. And then they kind of have to come together to push back against him and to ultimately reject him and own their own power um, without him. And it's it's a really fascinating arc in a lot of ways because it does it does you know to come back to the the initial question what what makes a witch film feminist. Um, I think that this definitely qualifies because it's both about like gaining this power and perspective from this this devil figure and then ultimately choosing no longer to be engaged with him because he's just as much of a whiny patriarchal baby as all of the other dudes that they've ever had that they've ever encountered. <laughs> I, one of the things I really like is the fact that I, I think Jack Nicholson does such a great job of being this character who is all powerful, he can do anything. And yet when he doesn't get his way, he does, he turns into this, this whiny baby who's really um, petulant. Who's very Mm -hmm. like, he just, it's, it's so well done and it makes it really funny. It gives Cher the opportunity to deliver a takedown that is just so perfect it might end up in the next iteration of the citizen name <laughs> intro because <laughs> i love it so much and um and it's just yeah it, it's it's just a it's such a good um it's just such a good movie <laughs> it really is it's uh you know and i i one of the things i like about it is that you know so i said earlier that he kind of becomes he's like the male ally who says everything that you want to hear He's mm-hmm. just like, you know, oh, I admire women so much. They're so powerful. They're so remarkable, you know, and he means it to a certain degree. Like, I don't think that he's lying because he does see this power in them and he does recognize how much power they have. But he's also mad. And what really makes him mad is that he can't control it. He can't force them to be with him when they when they decide to say no. Um, and so all he can really do is hurt them. Yeah. And. And then they kind of all are like, okay, we have to figure out a way to get rid of this guy because he's actually causing a lot more problems. And then Nicholson then has that remarkable scene in the church where it's kind of like, he's he's kind of the friend-zoned guy or something like that, where the guy that you're like, oh, he's a total ally and everything, actually finally shows his true colors. Mm-hmm. and begins to just just lose it and like curses god for creating women um is like you know preaching to this group of kind of puritan new englanders right <laughs> talking about how terrible women are and how how they like destroy everything and they were a mistake you know all <laughs> this stuff and it's great and at the same time it's hilarious and meanwhile we're watching these three witches basically just you know jab pins into him and like create winds that will whip him around um the church and like make him vomit uh cherry pits all of that it's so it's so satisfying mm-hmm. <laughs> the film really does just run through this wonderful arc um that is 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 very feminist and is, is ultimately very satisfying because we get to kind of see what we all really want to do to men like that yes <laughs> so true <laughs> so true <laughs> i did feel a little bit bad for felicia because she wasn't wrong she just was a little too mean about it <laughs> Fe- felicia now felicia is one of those characters where i think that um she's kind of representative of the other side of female power because she senses 
exactly what is wrong and she's like he's evil he's satan they're like um you know and and what is done to her is not right and it is something that he does to her right yeah uh and she she gets kind of cursed like i kept on i kept on in, in watching and i was just like oh i saw goody proctor with the devil kind of mm-hmm. <laughs> um it's it's that sort of thing and i think i think that veronica cartwright actually gives a great performance in this film and i was in, in watching it this time i was like you know she gets written off really easily but she's amazing mm-hmm. like and she goes crazy in a truly spectacular way yeah. um and just as a little side note, Veronica Cartwright, I I learned, uh, is actually Kathy in The Birds, which, which is I think still wild to me. <laughs> I lay I, I when I looked her up, I was like, what? And then as soon as I put the two together, I was like, yeah, you're right. Like that's that's her. Like she's a child. <laughs> like once you see it, it's like, oh yeah. wait, okay, yeah, that is right. But it was just so surprising. I knew she was an alien, but I didn't yeah. put together that she was in The Birds. Yeah. So, and Richard Jenkins, who's just always is always (laughs) a delight, and and again, very much, you know, he doesn't have a lot to do in the film, but very much like this poor guy who's no idea what's happening to his wife, Mm -hmm. and is is just like she's go she's going crazy, and like I I really like the two of them, the the final scene that they have together. He's like laughing hysterically, right? Like he just keeps on laughing. And it's horrible (laughs) because he just does not know what to do. Um, And, and it's, it's a really kind of interesting sort of sideline to, to, or flip side, I guess, um, to, to the witches themselves and to the fact that they don't really want to do that. They don't like Felicia, but they are not, it's not like they want to kill her. Right. Um, That is not something that they wanted to do. And that's actually the thing that, gets all of them to kind of come together and be like okay we have to stop this because what is happening is wrong yeah i mean they they kind of are women who just need something new in their lives everything's just kind of the same every day you've got one that's got a bunch of kids you get one that's getting harassed by her boss it's like there's just like all this stuff happening um for them but it's it's like they just need a change of, of scenery, a change of pace. And so that's what kind of opens this this door accidentally. And um yeah, when they see, oh no, this had so many unintended consequences. This is not this isn't what we had in mind, then they are because they never fought they don't have to like go and try to find each other and work things out. They're able to just be like, wait, 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 no, we need to put mm-hmm. a stop to this. Yeah, it's it's a very very well done film, and I I think it's a great kind of development of this, um, this idea of the the witch, the witch is not necessarily being in league with Satan as it were, but and because even the the Jack Nicholson character who it's never explicitly stated what he is, right? Right. Is he a demon? Is he Satan himself? He's very satyr like, like he's got this. I think that's again a, a very good piece of casting because he's charismatic. Like he mm-hmm. isn't six foot tall with rippling muscles or anything like that, but he's, you're very like, yes, I understand. I do understand. He's very charismatic. He's very charming. He's very like terrifying, but also like, I want to know more about him. He he plays that edge very, very well. Um, and, and so it, the, the film does treat of like this, this, again, that reaching back into almost a pre-Christian past that, 
that the powers that these women summon really come more from nature and from their own you know inner core as it were um than anything else so there's there's not a clear idea of like oh they're they're making a deal with the devil or anything like that it's more like they're making a deal with older powers than themselves yeah and older powers than than christian society right i do have to give a shout out to jack nicholson's tiny tiny ponytail (laughs) (laughs) so many choices made in this movie i was just like i don't know why but it works like this there's just something about that like yes that is that i that makes sense (laughs) it's true uh so i think that 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 brings us forward let's see how many more years uh 20 20, almost 30 years yeah to the witch from 2015 um directed directed and written by robert eggers and starring anya taylor joy ralph innocent kate dickey um harvey scrimshaw ellie granger and lucas dawson and this is uh this is a film like this i think has has kind of brought this film definitely brought witchcraft back into kind of mainstream horror um in a really fascinating way the the film is set in the 1630s in new england uh and is all centered around this family who have been basically told that they have to leave the the colony that the rest of their puritan brethren live in and they go to live in this cabin they build a cabin and a farm uh, at the edge of the woods where a witch may or may not be living and a witch may or may not steal their latest infant and that's kind of what everything everything sort of launches as a result of that this is a this is a film like that's what i can say about it it's it's a hard film to to kind of nail down in a lot of ways, particularly on a first watch, because the language is almost the Shakespearean English. It's very much a throwback to the 1630s. Um, and and not only that, but the the religious culture, which is so recognizable, but also so alien to our own and that these people are steeped in. Right. This is their entire existence. Uh, there's a lot of talk throughout the film about sin and about the fall of man and about the the fact of of being sinful. Um, and then, of course, it begins to revolve more and more around Thomason, played by Anna, Anya Taylor-Joy, um, who kind of is is not quite a rebel, but is is not doesn't fit within her family in the way that they want her to. And that becomes more and more of a focal point as terrible things happen to this family um what what are your thoughts to start off with on on this one karen where do you want to begin um well first of all i want to just say that i watched it again yesterday in preparation for this i had not seen it since 2015 when it came out and i didn't like it when i saw it the first time and i think it was one of those where I really just needed more time to process it, but everybody was trying to tell me how I should feel about it. And so I just kind of went, no, screw all of you. Mm -hmm. And so I just didn't, I just haven't really um, revisited it since then. I haven't wanted to, but there have been times where you've, you've brought up things about it that have made me think, well, I should, I should give it another try. I definitely like 
Robert Eggers as a filmmaker. I think he does some interesting things, even when I don't necessarily like the choices that he's making. I always respect them, unlike some other filmmakers of his uh generation i guess i don't i don't know like what the right terminology is but um some of his contemporaries i guess Um, similar filmmakers yeah who've worked for the same studio but anyway um i watching it this time it definitely did strike me much differently and I think part of that is because I didn't have a bunch of people in my ear telling me what to think about it, uh, mm-hmm. you know, in the first place. I got to just watch it. I already kind of knew what I was getting into because I had already seen it. So I knew some of what to expect, although um, part of it, I was like, wow, I definitely remember this movie being very different. And um, and so that was an interesting experience for me because some of it made me actually wonder, like, was I paying attention the first time like i'm not i'm not sure quite what happened but i think um, i think it's a tough film i think the language is is tough because you have to kind of navigate not just not just the way that they say things but what they're talking about um and that takes a lot of attention and also it's it's such a it's a very esoteric film. It doesn't give you, it doesn't ex- like set things out for you. It doesn't explain things to you. Right. Um, yeah. And, and I think that that can be really difficult, particularly on the first watch. I agree with you. My, my first watch of this, I was like, I don't know what I'm supposed to take away from this. And then as I watched the, the film and as I thought about the film more, I was like, Oh, okay. I, I think I know how I feel about this, but it's a hard film on, on first watch to really process. Yeah, I think one of the things that really surprised me watching it this time that I definitely didn't get before, um, but one of the big things was the reason this family is is cast out of their very, very Puritan society is because of things that they believe that the father did. Like, he's accused of stuff, mm-hmm. and so they get kicked out because of him. So then when everything centers around this teenage daughter, I'm like, hold on. They wouldn't be in this situation if it wasn't for dad. <laughs> well, and that's and that's pointed out a couple of times. Right. Um, yeah. Where the mother says, like, this is all your fault. Right? right. The father even says, this is all my fault. And then as soon as there's even the tiniest glimmer that, oh, maybe it's not all about maybe it's witchcraft. Right. Maybe it's this girl. Right. Who has done ha- the like her worst thing is, is playing a game with her brother. That is the worst thing that she did. Mm-hmm. um and like taking her eye off of him for one second literally and, one second yeah and 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 that's and as soon as there's this like moment of oh it's her fault it's not our fault it's her fault as soon as they get that opportunity they run with it and right. and that's where like and and she becomes the focal point of she's a witch she's cursed them she is um you know and then she even begins to be like, no, it's not my fault. It's my brother and sister who are evil and are talking with Satan, you know? Which, like, if if this movie is all entirely literal, which I think that's a question, too. Um, but if it is all entirely literal, then you can see by the end that, yeah, obviously something has been feeding these ideas to her younger brother and sister, which is part of what led to this hysteria. Yeah, I, I think that that question of the literal nature of the film is is an interesting one. I I think you can read it both ways. Yeah. 
definitely. you could definitely read it as being like I and I think that some of it is intended to be like this hysterical kind of development because Thomason has not done anything. <laughs> like there's no nothing. indication through most of the film that she is in any way in league with Satan or in league with the witch or anything like that. That she most of what is happening is is happening around her and can be explained through the fact that this is a family alone in a very hostile environment. They are having difficulty growing crops. They're starving um, and they are enmeshed in this this religious concept of sin and of pain and suffering and, and of the like not even being certain of salvation and all of that. Um, and so all of that kind of contributes to the grief that they experience and the madness that they experience and the eventual like destruction basically of the entire family. And so, yeah, you can read it one way or the other. I, I, I read it to a certain degree that there, there is a little bit of just hysteria um, and there, but there's also definitely a degree of power that is developing throughout the film um and particularly centered around thomason and the choices that she she winds up making in the final act which i think let's talk about the final act in a moment but um i think that you can read the film a multitude of ways but no single reading is going to explain it completely right i i do agree with that because i think if uh if we do read it just 100 percent literally i think there are some things where it's like okay but this doesn't make sense then or why would these characters behave in the way that they do but if you don't read it literally at all then there's other things that it's like okay so what about you know when she hears black phillips voice and um that leads to when you know the the Mm -hmm. freaking goat in the first place like the things that he (laughs) does um you know there's certain things that it's like if it's not at all literal then then certain parts of it don't make sense but if it is entirely literal then it seems a little bit impossible like impossible is not the right word but it just doesn't it just doesn't feel like a it doesn't feel complete if it's all entirely literal either. There are things that the film elides over, I think, that are really interesting. So the initial disappearance of Samuel, the baby. Right. Um, it's depicted as being like within a second, like she's playing peekaboo with him and she closes her eyes and opens them again and he's gone. Mm-hmm. Um, there's there's the sequence where the brother meets the the very sexy witch in the woods. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, there, there, there's the, you know, obviously the, the ending where black Philip actually talks to her. There's the two twins who are may or may not be talking with the goat. Um, you know, all, all of those things. And there's some things that you're, you're kind of like, okay, well, we can also consider who this is being focalized through. And again, it's a lot of it is about belief, right? The brother believes in, the su- in superstition, in witchcraft, in temptation, in you know sin, etc. The the twins, you know, may or may not actually be talking to the goat. They're just like they're they're these kids who are you know making up games to pass the time, right? Um, Thompson at, at one point basically says like, "Oh, I'm the witch of the woods," right? Mm-hmm. And and then later she's like, no, I'm I was playing, I was joking, it was a joke, I was I was pretending, right? I was trying to scare them. And so there's always that that again, that tension between belief and superstition and what is reality. 
and the film really does not, like you say, it doesn't come down on any one side and it elides over certain things. So what happens to Caleb in the woods? Something happens to him. He comes back naked. He comes back naked. He's he's rambling and, and just speaking gibberish. And yeah, obviously something happened. And we know that Thomason wasn't the reason for it because we know where she was when he disappeared. Yeah, Tom- Thomason gets knocked out uh and yeah. when she falls off the horse she gets knocked out he runs off uh after the dog something has happened to the dog and to the sheep but it could be the wolf that they talk about um that which is is kind of the one of the natural explanations so there's all of these questions that the film raises that can't really be explained one way or the other and is in part about belief what do you believe what do you believe the film is trying to do even um, it's a very shifting perspective. And I think that you can take one perspective or the other, but none of them are going to be 100% satisfying. Right. Um, let's talk for a moment about Black Philip, who it <laughs> becomes more and more of a focal point. One of my favorite things about this is that I, I guess that the goat who played back Black Philip, they he was an old goat. He basically could not be directed or controlled. They kind of had to put him in situations and hope he did the right thing oh wow <laughs> and he i believe he put the guy who plays the father in the hospital um because he hated him like black philip hated the actor and wow. they like just did not get along with each other and so he actually like i i believe he like at, at one point actually caused some damage and uh and created this like um like a very toxic set so black philip is was just his own his own creature right oh my gosh um but i i think there's there's an interview with the the actor played the father who's um uh ralph innocent who i and i I believe he said something like that you know he just really hopes that the goat is dead now and (laughs) that he wants to like eat eat the goat or something like because he just hated this goat so much (laughs) (laughs) poor guy so so black philip was was a force of nature as it were (laughs) um but but it is so like they have this this they have multiple goats but they have this one black goat that then becomes this kind of focal point right of he's satan and i you do kind of want to ask where did you get the goat Mm -hmm. like did he just show up one day or did you bring him from the colony or like like where did this this gigantic mean black goat come from yeah <laughs> a lot um, of questions and and yeah and and at the end thomason who has watched her entire family die right has been accused of witchcraft uh has been told that she's going to be brought back to the colony to be tried for for as a witch and probably executed um and has murdered her own mother and she goes to to the the um, stable and she asks Black Philip to talk to her, and he does. Um, and it's it's the, the most famous scene in the film in a lot of ways, where he asks her, you know, the things that he can give her and the things that she wants. Um, and I I think that it shows very much the deprivation that she has undergone and the experiences that she has been denied. Right. So the things that he says he offers her is like butter the taste of butter right and a dress 
And and then the you know that final that famous line, "Wouldst thou like to live deliciously?" <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but to like actually experience all of those things that have not only been denied to her because of her family's rejection from the colony, but would be denied to her at large because of her religion um, and because of the religious system in which she's grown up in. And so her choice becomes, she goes back to the colony, she tries to survive long enough to get back there uh, and is very likely going, going to be executed as a witch. Or she signs the book and join, you know, joins in concert with Satan and accepts all of the things that Black Philip is offering her. And I, I think that no matter how you read it, that ending, a lot of people disagree with it. I think it's a fantastic ending because it is this moment of like the, the woman being offered, you have a choice between being a martyr and a monster or a monster. And she chooses to be a monster. And, and it's a horrible choice in a lot of ways because we've seen the things that witches do, right. Or that they're supposed to do eating babies and, um, and all of the like the horribleness of it. But it is also this offer of safety and of power and even of joy. Like it's the first time she really laughs in the entire film is when she goes to the witch's Sabbath. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and she smiles, she laughs, she dances. And this is this is immediately after her entire family has been slaughtered. Like, yeah, not even just that she had to kill her mother, but they've they're all dead her whole and she's watched most of them die horribly um and yeah and so now she's given the choice (laughs) like you say go back and and face consequences for something that you didn't entirely do um and weren't part of or live in the woods with with people and be free and and mm-hmm. um and have and have some semblance of power and control over your life which is something that her religion her culture her her community would not allow her yeah and and i i think that it's a mistake and i i had a a very intense argument with someone about this um but i think that it's a mistake to simply read this as like oh you know it's evil like the the witches are evil it's like i mean i'm not i'm not supporting the eating of babies um no but i i think that the whole point of thomason's choice there at the end is that a patriarchal culture is going to want her to become a martyr right we know that she's innocent she has not really done anything wrong even when she kills her mother right her mother her mother is trying to strangle her right so she's she it's self-defense basically but within the entire structure of the world in which she lives the only outcome for her is death if she even manages to get back she doesn't have a horse right if she even manages to get back to the colony she they're going to find out what has happened they're going to come in on this massacre right um and and she is going to be accused of witchcraft she's going to be tried as a witch and she's probably going to be murdered so even if she is innocent right all that she is offered is death and martyrdom and that's really what a patriarchal culture wants her to take they want her to remain innocent and virginal and Mm -hmm. and be like well sacrifice yourself and you get to go into god's embrace etc that's what is wanted for her and the choice that is being offered is the better choice in a lot of ways it is saying you can have freedom. You can have power. You can have joy. 
You can have these things that have been denied to you and you have to give away a part of yourself to do it, but you've already given away all of yourself anyways, because the only other choice you have is death and destruction. Yeah. Do you give away part of yourself to maintain a life that that you can live freely or do Mm -hmm. you give away all of yourself to death? Yeah. That that's the choice that she has. I I mean <laughs> who would actually choose death under those circumstances? Well, yeah, it, exactly. And um, you know, in another time period, in another time period of filmmaking, I mean, I think that that is exactly what she would have chosen. She would have gone back and she would have been burned as a witch and she would be this this wonderful martyr. Right. And it's like, but that's not the choice that that Eggers makes, and that's not the choice that the film makes, and ultimately it's not the choice that Thomason as a character makes. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I do think that it, it draws out that element of the representation of witches and the fact that evil or, you know, earth power or earth mother or new age, feminine power, et cetera, it still all comes down to women being powerless in a patriarchal society and wanting so much to, to take on some kind of autonomy and control over their own lives. And the figure of the witch is terrifying because she is this kind of unfettered female power. Right. Um, and that people and th- don't understand when that yeah, is, we're afraid of the things that we don't understand. People don't understand that people fear even like um, there's, there's a wonderful comment in the witches of Eastwick where Daryl says, you know, like the witchcraft scares in the 14th century were a result of midwives. So it was men, <laughs> male doctors wanting to kill midwives. Yeah. And he's, I mean, it's a, that's a broad statement, but he's not wrong. Right. <laughs> And, and, and it's true, it's female power and it's, it's male exclusion from female power. Um, and, and I think that when it comes to the ending of The Witch, that's exactly what Thomason is choosing. It's not a good choice, but it is the only one that is available to her in the patriarchal society that she exists in. And honestly, the patriarchal society that a lot of us exist in. Um, and and I think that the film really, really brings that home. It is scary and it is enraging at some level, but it's also freedom. Mm-hmm. So any final thoughts on on which movies? Anything else? Uh, all I will say is that I think some are better than others. Mm-hmm. And I think that the current age of which movies, which talked a little bit about the craft last week too i think that there are some i i don't know seeing a movie like robert eggers's film the witch gives me hope for the direction that this trope is going and the way that these stories are Mm -hmm. being told i love it Mm -hmm. yeah i agree with you yeah i mean there are a lot of films obviously that we didn't that we didn't talk about uh one of my favorites actually is burn witch burn um which is a i think it's from 1960 63 or something like that. It's a british film it's also called night of the eagle uh and it's a very different it's more of like an academic approach to witches uh but it's really fascinating like uh schlocky in some ways but but a, a really fascinating film um yeah i i think the there's there's some interesting stuff and and definitely it's it's going to constantly provoke this conversation about feminism and about patriarchy and about misogyny and the witch is a very misogynist figure in a lot of ways but is also a very feminist figure which is fascinating it all depends on how you look at her right 
So I think that will close us out for this week. Thank you so much uh, for listening. And of course, we want to thank our lovely patrons who include Ali, Brian, Connor, Estefania, Heather, James, Judy, Karen, Cariata, Lauren, Matt, Michelle, Monty, Nanina, Robert, Robert, Steve, Sharon, and Tao. Thank you so much for continuing to support us, guys. Again, if anyone has not received buttons, stickers, et cetera, um, let me know. Send, send along your uh, U.S. mailing address, and I will get, get those out to you. I think that we've covered everyone at this point, but do let me know if you haven't received them. Uh, and of course, you can join their number. We are on Patreon at patreon.com slash citizen dame, and you get those funds fun buttons and stickers and you also get bonus episodes and episodes early and uh, other fun stuff so definitely join that if you are able to support us we also have our zazzle store zazzle.com slash citizen dame pod and our ko-fi account ko-fi.com slash citizen dame and you can check out our website our website is citizendamepod.com where we have some other reviews and editorials and stuff like that um, and if you want to get in touch with us, our email is citizendamepod at gmail.com. Send along questions, comments, anything that, you know, maybe we haven't talked about that you'd like us to address, any of your thoughts on, on episodes that maybe you want us to talk about a little bit more. We're always happy to hear from people. Uh, and of course, we are on all of the various socials. We are not really on Twitter anymore, but kind of on Twitter <laughs> Uh, and Instagram at Citizen Dame Pod, and also on Blue Sky, Citizen Dame Pod at bluesky.social. And finally, we have our Letterboxed HQ at Citizen Dame, and you can also follow along with all of the films that we talk about. Uh, we've got links to, to episodes, links to articles, and other fun lists, so definitely check us out there on Letterboxd. And of course, you can get in touch with us individually. Karen, where are you? I am on all the social medias at Karen M. Peterson. And I am on all the social medias at LH Business. Thank you so much for listening. We will talk to you all next week. Bye. You know, I think God makes mistakes. Of course he does. We all make mistakes. <laughs> of course, when we make mistakes, they call it evil. When God makes mistakes, they call it nature <laughs> so what do you think women a mistake or did he do it to us on purpose well you know i have to admit that i appreciate your directness daryl and i will try and be as direct and honest with you as i possibly can be uh i think no i i am positive that you are the most unattractive man I have ever met in my entire life. You know, in the short time we've been together, you have demonstrated every loathsome characteristic of the male personality and even discovered a few new ones. You are physically repulsive, intellectually retarded, you're morally reprehensible, vulgar, insensitive, selfish, stupid. You have no taste, a lousy sense of humor, and you smell. You know, you're not even interesting enough to make me sick. <laughs>